Welcome to episode 77 of Shanley and I'm Batman. Today we've got a repeat guest all the way back from episode 47, almost exactly a year ago. We got Mr. Sean Gerber on the show tonight. Um, you know Sean from Modern Myth Media, and you probably also know him from his podcast with Andy DeGenova, Batman News. Um, check them out at www.batman-news.com and follow Sean at Mr. Sean Gerber on Twitter. Uh, we sit down and have a really fun conversation with Sean, and uh, it's always a great time when he's on the show. So I really hope you enjoy it. Uh, make sure that you go to www.shanleyandonbatman.com to check out all of the stuff that we are doing and follow us on Twitter at Shanley and on Bat. The whole thing, you know. Uh, let's not waste any more time and let's get right to it. Episode 77 of Shanley and on Batman with Sean Gerber. So welcome to the show, Sean. So I was going to ask you if you've been reading t uh, Tom King Batman, but let's put that aside first. What? How are you? How do you feel that Billy D. Williams is now going to play Two Face in Lego Batman? Like, is that something like? like brain explode moment for you i just think it's great i mean i think it's taking full advantage of uh, all the liberties that come with doing something silly and fun like the lego batman movie that doesn't have any pressure to serve any type of canon or anything like that it just kind of gets to celebrate whatever bits and pieces of batman mythology that it wants and it just gets to have a ton of fun with it so it, i think it's just a really smart decision to use that as an opportunity as a vehicle to right one of the wrongs of the 90s which is that philly d williams never got his shot to go from harvey dent to being two-faced you know once the whole burton schumacher transition happened then everything that billy d williams might have been working towards with harvey dent becoming two-faced was just gone um and then of course as we all know with, with tommy lee jones but but in hindsight i think it's going to work out great for billy d williams because He's probably going to be part of a better-liked Batman movie in the Lego Batman movie in 2017 than Batman Forever in 1995, although you know, I don't totally subscribe to the revisionist history. No, nobody wants to admit it, but people liked Batman Forever in 1995. I remember that. Um, but they don't like it anymore, and they'll still like uh, the Lego Batman movie. So he gets to be part of the better one. So ultimately, he, he won out in the end, yeah. even though it took like 20 years. <laughs> We've kind of like slowly... Like, yeah, that wasn't so bad. If you just get rid of Tommy Lee Jones, <laughs> really kind of, it's a different yeah. flavor, but it's still, like, of that series, it's the best Bruce Wayne, I feel like, the best of that kind of, I don't know, we've debated it constantly on this podcast, so I'm sure you guys yeah. have done that as well. Um, yeah. So my big question for you as we start this mm -hmm. is, Jeff Johns has, do you think Jeff Johns has been the missing uh, puzzle for the DCEU? Do you really think that he is actually going to have 
any say going forward with these films or do you see him sort of as a window dressing to kind of like let the let the fanboy nation like keep them at bay well i really hope he's not the window dressing because i feel like that's kind of what he's already been for the past few years i mean why change anything he's been around since green lantern um although that was he kind of came in once there were way too many things already rolling with Green Lantern by the time he was involved, but they still paraded him around for it. They still brought him around as, you know, somebody who was there on set and, and everything. I don't know how much authority he really had back then. And I don't know. Uh, I mean, it doesn't sound like he's had very much authority because if he had it, why would they have to tell us how much new authority he supposedly has? So um, I would hope that they mean it because I do think Jeff Johns is, is the missing link uh, for the DC extended universe. This is a guy who, came up under Richard Donner, um, you know, by cold calling and getting an internship. I mean, I think most people know the story by now, but, you know, I, I think Jeff Johns has a mind for the DC universe. I think he just gets it. And more than that, I think he knows how to make it accessible. You know, one of the biggest things that he did in the 2000s was really getting people to like Green Lantern. Uh, you know, everybody now pretends like they were always a Green Lantern fan, but that's just not true. Even I wasn't that much of a Green Lantern fan. Like, I knew who Green Lantern was, and I knew the different Lanterns. Um, but like most DC fans, I wasn't nearly as into that world um, you know, prior to Jeff Johns starting with Green Lantern Rebirth and then going on through Sinestro Corps War and Blackest Night and all those things. Like, he opened up that world to... Uh, to even D people who thought they were diehard DC fans became even bigger DC fans as a result of what Jeff Johns did with Green Lantern. And I feel like he'll do the same thing with, from a more mainstream perspective with Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. You know, I, I think that, I think he is able to translate what he loves about something to a bigger audience and get them to love it just as much as he does. That's what he's so great at. Um, he's done that in comic books and he's in, even he's helped on with uh, television. I mean, he's been instrumental in the, the, development of the Arrowverse over on the CW, which whether you like it or not, you can't really argue that it hasn't been successful. Um, so I think he has, you know, he has a pedigree and it, the, the biggest question is whether or not he really gets to do it. And I don't have that answer. Um, I'll be looking for that answer in 2017 because I think we should start seeing it. He's one of the people who co-wrote Wonder Woman. Um, and of course, all this transition happened uh, early on in production for Justice League. Now, it wasn't from the very start because there's a lot of things you are committed to on a movie this big when you're doing pre-production. So it's not like we'll see the full extent of what Jeff Johns' authority would be in 2017, but we'll start seeing it. Um, and then we should know for sure in 2018 whether or not he really had a chance or if we're just seeing the exact same things uh, that we've seen in 2016 and before. Why don't you think that they, with formulating the DCEU, mm -hmm. Like, Marvel had their guy that they've always had with Kevin Feige. Why don't you think that they wanted wanted Jeff Johns there at the very beginning of this? Obviously, Zach kind of put things together with, with Man of Steel. With mm -hmm. Why don't – and I remember seeing things on set, uh, Jeff Johns on set of Man of Steel and talking about Superman. Mm -hmm. I don't think they just didn't have him, like, shepherd this from the very beginning. Because now it seems like they're kind of – they were playing catch up to Marvel before, and now it seems like they're yeah. playing catch up. Well, the one of the things that they need to do more than anything else is they just kind of need to ignore Marvel, and I, you know, and that's 
That's not to say that you can't take it, take a look at things that Marvel has done successfully and try and see if there's a way you can implement that. Like that's part of any business is, you know, finding out what the best practices are and seeing how you can make that work for you. Or if you can't and you need to move on. But one of the things that I think Warner Brothers was a little too guilty of was being preoccupied with not being Marvel. And now I wonder if they run the risk of being preoccupied with being too much like Marvel as opposed yeah. to just, you know, you have characters, just tap into them. Like they're, you already have great IP. You don't have to copy what anybody else is doing. Just get the most out of the IP that you have. But as far as the Jeff Johns, Kevin Feige thing, um, their, their career trajectories are, are very, very different. And I think that's why someone, someone like Jeff Johns is not as obvious as a choice for Warner Brothers to, you know, really back right out the gate uh, for DC the way that Feige was for Marvel Studios. And Feige wasn't the boss of Marvel Studios at the very, very start. Avi Arad was the boss at Marvel Studios, and then he left uh, shortly. I think he left right around the time Iron Man was going into production or maybe a little bit before, and Kevin Feige you know, assumed that role, and then he's just been super successful and, and of course, held on to it, and deservedly so. But also, Kevin Feige's background is different. Kevin Feige may, is a huge, huge Marvel fan, but he's not a comic book guy in terms he didn't come up through comic books. He came up through movies. He went to film school at USC. Uh, I think one of his first, his first big movie job was as an associate producer on X-Men. And then he worked his way up as a co-producer or executive producer on a lot of the Marvel movies that were being made by other studios in the early to mid 2000s. Uh, during that time, even though Jeff Johns had the Richard Donner connection, Obviously, we, uh, we understand that the bulk of his career, the reason we know his name is because of what he's done in comic books. And, you know, I, whether it's fair or not, you know, Hollywood typically doesn't have the greatest respect for comic books in terms of believing that the talent there is going to be able to come in and make great movies, although I think we're seeing some of that changing. Um, and even then with Jeff Johns, when he did tap into television stuff with Smallville, it was still seen as, you know, no pun intended, but kind of small time. Like it wasn't necessarily something where you go, okay, that guy gets movies. But what I think what helps Jeff Johns now is what you're seeing from part of what's making Marvel so successful is they're not really, there are certain things that have to change as you adapt something from comic books to movies, but there are also a lot of things that hold over. So if you have a comic book mindset, you can still be very, very successful because it is ultimately serialized storytelling about superheroes um and i think now warner brothers hopefully is a little, little less afraid of you know giving more film authority to a guy who previously they saw as a comic book guy but i think now that jeff johns has been part of this dc entertainment and been in this chief creative officer position for a number of years i think maybe warner brothers is finally starting to have confidence in it but i can understand why at the beginning they would not have been as confident in him as you know marvel would have been in feige Awesome. So everyone has their opinions about Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and yeah. now Suicide Squad. And I want to ask you about Suicide Squad later. Sure. But uh, what do you think it means for the future of the DC Extended Universe if Wonder Woman ends up being a flop? What do you think happens from here on out? Well, what... What that means is, is, I'll actually just boil that down to the one thing I'm going to be watching for in the first half of 2017, because on the surface, it doesn't really mean much of anything, because even if Wonder Woman comes out and let's say it's Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad all over again, um, in terms of, you know, 
a critical flop, but then you know still making some money and making enough money in theory to keep going. Um, you know, Warner Brothers would just it would go the same way the 2016 went because like Justice League will already be in the can and will right. be you know five months out from release, so nothing's going to yeah. change there. Um, so what I'm actually watching for is you know the the key sign for me in terms of how committed Warner Brothers is to all this in the wake of Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad. Do they actually go into production on anything before Wonder Woman comes out? You know, because we've already lost our, our second Flash director of the year. Um, so that's not going into production probably until after Wonder Woman is out. Um, Aquaman, in theory, would be starting production uh, prior to... Uh, it wouldn't have to because it's still... I think Wonder Woman comes out like a year... A little more than a year over Aquaman's July 2018 release date. But if if Warner Brothers doesn't actually go into production on another DC movie in the first half, not counting a solo Batman movie, but if they don't go into production on Aquaman or anything like that in the first half of 2017, and we don't hear anything being like at least advanced stages of pre-production, then I would start to worry that they are hedging their bet and that they are going to wait and see how things go with Wonder Woman uh, before they start investing in more solo films, especially the ones that are not going to heavily involve Batman. So that would be, but, you know, so it, it would really be the 2018 stuff because it won't change anything for 2017 because, like I said, I mean, we're getting Justice League no matter what. Cool. It's really, it's, you brought something up I completely forgot that we don't have a Flash director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, we, we've had two, um, you know, one not-so-great one. One, I, I thought Rick Camillo was a great choice for the Flash, um, and I'm super bummed that that one didn't work out. And I... I kind of wonder, it, it's just, that one struck me as a little bit weird because, you know, he got hired after they were kind of deciding what they wanted to do uh, in the wake of Batman v Superman. And now I guess they ultimately, after several months, decided they don't want to do the same thing, which happens. I mean, it's not the first time that's happened. It won't be the last time that it happens. Um, but it is, uh, it is definitely a little disappointing. Um, but so I guess my, my big question on that is, uh, who did Rick Familiar disagree with? If he disagreed with Jeff Johns, then I'm going to say I'm going to lean towards Jeff Johns because I don't know that anybody knows the Flash as well as Jeff Johns. Um, but if it was a dis- if, but if Familiar and Jeff Johns were on the same page, but it was another studio executive who wasn't on the same page with them, and that led to it, then you know obviously we're we're headed for some trouble. What's weird is there hasn't been any like rumblings or filterings that it was you know J- Jeff Johns and Rick didn't get. No, and anything which has been usually like we'll we'll hear something you know filter through the internet mm-hmm. highway, but we haven't really heard anything. There, we we lost the flash director, and then it's just been like radio silence from everyone at Warner Brothers and DC Films. It's been very very strange on that. Yeah, and I think it's because uh, well, you know, the only thing that we kind of, the only hint that we kind of have is Rick Familiar even saying like he wanted something that had a little bit of. Uh, social kind of yeah subtext to it and and you know had some some multicultural aspects to it which was just natural if it was going to involve uh you know not just barry allen but also cyborg you know has been attached to that movie for a long time as well um and i I, it's weird to see that like warner brothers would shy away from that because they're actually the studio that you know previously has been kind of known for really trying to push the envelope with superhero movies you know especially going back to uh the nolan years so to see them kind of shy away from that with the Flash uh, was a little bit odd, and and I mean I understand why some people don't want you know you don't want to lose the the ability of this thing to also exist and live as a superhero movie, but 
you know, one of the things that, like, if anybody's seen uh, Rick Famuyiwa's last film, Dope, I mean, I thought that what was so awesome about that film is the way that he was able to navigate the more, you know, and blend the more serious aspects of that story and what the act, you know, the very serious themes within it, um, and then also just allow you to have a ton of fun with these char- with the characters in that film. So that's why I thought he was perfect uh, for The Flash. And I'm just I'm that one really caught me by surprise uh, when it didn't work out. I mean, yes, I was I was disappointed, but more than anything else, I was actually shocked because I just thought that it just seemed like a home run. And we all know how excited he was when he got the job. I mean, we've all seen him tweeting the pictures of Flash comics and all this other stuff. So I'm just really surprised that one didn't work out. Right. Because it seemed like they were like on this roll of like, here's some good news. We hired Rick. We hired Doug Lyman. He's doing Justice League Dark. You got James Bond, mm-hmm. he's doing Aquaman. Then all of a sudden it was like, wait, let's tap the brakes. We're losing Rick. And it's just like, yeah. man, what happened to that role of wins? It just, it, yeah. it's been kind of surprising. We haven't heard even any like filmmaker kind of like pop up saying that they yeah. want the job either. So I don't know. Like everyone's kind of like, yeah. So last week I heard like someone saying like Kevin Smith said that he, if, something he kind of wanted i don't know a pain i'm i'm glad that we actually don't have a short list immediately um that's the one thing that i I would say in terms of being happy with not obviously not happy that we're in this situation but i'm happy with how the studio has actually responded to it because to me it sounds like they're actually taking a minute you know taking a beat really thinking about this because it is while it's not unusual to lose a director, it is unusual to lose a direct two directors for the exact same film in less than a year. I can't really think of very many examples that match what happened with The Flash this year. So obviously there's some, there is something that Warner Brothers has to figure out for themselves because now twice in a row they've, they've had creative differences on this same movie. So that suggests to me that maybe they don't have the clearest idea of exactly what they want to do with it. And until they know what they want to do, how can they possibly know whether or not it's going to mesh with whatever filmmaker they hire to come in and, and make this thing? So I think it is in their best interest to really wait and, and figure out exactly what their vision is for The Flash and then finding somebody where it kind of it matches up, where Jeff Johns feels this way. John Berg, who's kind of the co-head of, of DC Films with Jeff Johns, like if they're on the same page with it. And then they find a filmmaker who's on the same page with them and everything comes together the way that you would want it to. Then you go off and make the movie. So I'm glad that they're not just um, immediately uh, replacing Rick from Uyo. I'm glad they do need to take some time and, and sort that out because it's not really important to get the flash in March of 2018. It's important that whenever we get the flash, that the movie's great. And that's only going to be great if everybody's on the same page. Right. <laughs> that would be a great choice. Great choice. Hey, Edward Edgar Wright, like $10 million. <laughs> Just do whatever you want with The Flash. We don't yeah. care. Just make it happen. Yeah, that, that would be pretty great. So if, if let's just, all this crap with what's been going on with The Flash happens just so Edgar Wright gets it, I'd be happy. You know, sometimes it works out, you know. I mean, Aaron Eckhart was an awesome Two-Face, but we never would have got him if Matt Damon had said yes. So, I mean, it's, you know... Mm-hmm. Sometimes things just work out better, even though they don't. They may not seem like it at the time. We sometimes we get the best version of, of uh, of these things just by, just by circumstance and sometimes just dumb luck. Right, and I kind of tweeted when it when it happened. I was like, look, it took how many filmmakers to get to Tim Burton? 
Yeah. Yeah. If we can, if we can get to somewhere, I want to like I like now that we have like the Nolan verse and everything. Like that's kind of like kind of shy away from that. But it took a long time to find Tim Burton. Oh yeah. So maybe it's going to take a long time to find the right well, guy. And there were there were several people attached to Batman before Christopher Nolan even you know once Joel Schumacher was done you know there was Darren Aronofsky there was like what Wolfgang Peterson I mean there were different people attached to different Batman movies uh, before Warner Brothers finally landed on Christopher Nolan so you're you're totally right in that you know sometimes we forget how the now being attached to something isn't the same as being flat out, you know, hired for it the way that Familial was, but still it's the, it's a similar concept in that look sometimes, especially for a character that's never been on the big screen before. Um, you know, it may, it may take a little while to find the right person, but hopefully whenever the next time is that they say they found the right person, it actually is. And it stays that way. Kyle, you've been kind of quiet. Tonight. I'm soaking all this in. Good. <laughs> good, good discussion. What do you got, Kyle? Did you have something in mind in particular? <laughs> I know you love thinking about brain and stuff. But um, no, like uh, I kind of I kind of agree with everything that Sean's saying. Uh, kind of I'm kind of hoping that DC pumps the brake a little bit and is like, okay, we need to we need to fix something here. Let's make sure we lay the groundwork. Let's make sure it's solid, and then we can start building up from there. It's interesting to see kind of how everything's kind of played off for everyone thought bbs and suicide Squad were going to be this critical like celebration but it really hasn't been that that kind mm -hmm. of brings up to like the next question okay so do you think there's going to be a if let's say wonder woman doesn't work and justice league doesn't work like critically it's obviously going to make a bajillion dollars mm -hmm. all it's going to happen i mean suicide squad was will smith's biggest movie ever sure what do you think there needs to be a soft reboot of these films or do you think they kind of just keep going? Well, I think justice league kind of is the soft reboot and even wonder woman a little bit. I mean, look at the tone of the wonder woman trailer. It looks um, so good. Yeah. It, it's great, but it's, it's also very Richard Donner esque. I mean, in, in terms of the way they construct that trailer. So, um, you know, there it's very classic in how it presents the idea of, of a superhero and, so I, I think they want to they certainly want to advertise that. Now it's a matter of you know delivering films that, that live up to it. And I think Wonder Woman will. And I think Justice League will. I think Justice League is going to be a different movie than Batman v Superman. I, I'm pretty sure it's been mandated, you know, whether yeah. Zack Snyder likes it or not, that it needs to be a different movie than Batman v Superman. I think that's part of why at least it's been stated anyway. And we'll find out when we see the movie uh, that Jeff Johns has a more active role. Uh, in the creative with Justice League than maybe he did on Batman v Superman or uh, or Suicide Squad. So um, I think we already are kind of seeing that soft reboot. And I, I think if you're Warner Brothers, you it's not so much about you know the critical reception, fine. Although I, I think Wonder Woman is going to do just fine critically because I think people are rooting for that movie. Um, that that by the way doesn't mean it will automatically be a, a huge critical success. I mean I think a lot of critics were rooting for. Uh, Ghostbusters this year and couldn't give it, you know, great reviews uh, because, you know, ultimately the, the film didn't necessarily merit those great reviews. Um, so, I mean, it's not to say that people will just have decided they're going to give Wonder Woman great reviews, but I, I know they want to and they're going to be looking for reasons to try and give it a good review. Um, and so I and I and I also do think it's going to be a good movie. I think it looks great. I think 
I know people have that attitude of, you know, been fooled by the trailers before with the DCEU. Um, but I think the Wonder Woman trailer, that especially the newest one, is the best trailer we've had for all of the DCEU. Um, it's my favorite trailer so far for any of the DCEU movies. Um, and so I am I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be good. And I think Justice League will follow up and be and be solid. Um, I don't necessarily know that it's going to be the most amazing film ever. It might be. Um, but I, I think they'll be OK. And, and I think those already kind of are the soft reboots that build toward the, the, the transition of, you know, kind of the next phase of, of DC movies. So I think it's already underway, you know, regardless of what happens with Wonder Woman or Justice League. Right. And my biggest complaint with BVS wasn't the, the film. It was the marketing. What were you trying to market? Were you trying to market Batman fighting <laughs> Superman? Were you trying to market Batman, Superman fighting Doomsday? Were you trying to market the, the Trinity? Yeah. There was no cohesive, like, flow of, like, the marketing. But it seems like with Wonder Woman, it's like, this is, it just, yeah. for some reason, it just seems like they are, they're really honed in on, here's our tone, here's what this movie right. movie. And even with Suicide Squad, like, the first trailer wasn't, was okay, but it wasn't until that, like, the last one, the, the Blitz trailer, was like, oh, okay, now I see yeah. where they're trying to go with it here. But it yeah. doesn't. Like, from the Wonder Woman, from the full trailers we've gotten, it's been pretty cohesive. Yes. Seems like they're kind of hitting that stride with Wonder Woman. So now, like, can we can we see that continuation to Justice League? It's, yeah, it's a, it's a great point. There's been a very clear voice and a very clear vision in the marketing for Wonder Woman so far. And I think that's going to help the movie tremendously because people know what they're getting. Um, as opposed to, you're, you're totally right, because BBS was leaning very heavily into... Um, the Batman versus Superman direction. And then when they felt like maybe people aren't digging that, they kind of, they went around it and they said, okay, well, let's try and have a little more upbeat thing and show that they're going to team up in the end. So let's spoil the fact that they're not going to be fighting this whole time. And let's go ahead and show that we're fighting Doomsday because we, in case people don't like this idea of them fighting, let's show that there's something else. And you're very right. They were wishy-washy in how they marketed Batman v Superman. They were very reactionary uh, pretty much to the internet. I mean, BVS in itself is very reactionary to the internet's reaction to Man of Steel. I mean, it's it's a it's a, a huge plot point in Batman v right. Superman. So you know that's the kind of stuff that they need to you know they need to stop. You know, believe in the vision that you have, and you just you really got to stick with it. And it looks like that's what's happening uh, with Wonder Woman. Um, and they're and I think they're also properly recognizing that this movie is a big deal. We haven't had a female-led superhero movie in a long time, and the ones that we had before were pretty terrible and not very well thought out, especially if we're going back to like Elektra and, and Warner Brothers own Catwoman in 2004. You know, we haven't had great examples, um, but we we all understand the reality of it. The reason those movies didn't work and weren't successful is because they sucked. It, was, it had nothing to do with the fact that they were led by female characters. They would have been just fine had the movies been good. And so I think everybody understands how important Wonder Woman is and how um, inspirational and how aspirational like that film has a chance to be um, Warner Brothers gets that and they're leaning all the way into it with the marketing. And I totally think that's going to be the right call. And I, I think it's going to pay off well for them. Just the posters look awesome, too. Oh, yeah. they're amazing. They're it's fantastic. Like, what, here's every here's Wonder Woman, strong, powerful. And you get that. It's not it's they never yeah. really had. I mean, even after like the weekend after BBS, they had like this deleted scene. They showed us like, what's going yeah. on? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That was the weirdest deleted scene release I've ever seen <laughs> in like, following superhero movies is to release something, the you know, like the weekend after your movie just opened. I've never seen it. 
usually that's part of the marketing cycle for a Blu-ray. That has nothing to do with tons you know, of that's, people. That's never put out. Tons of people hadn't even seen the film yet, and they're like, "Here's deleted scenes from it yeah. for free on like, the interweb." No, it it didn't. It didn't. Another weird thing that we've spoke about, and I think the most outspoken about it was Kyle, is the fact that this is now two films in a row, BVS and Suicide Squad, that they have, after the fact, gone, well, you know, we really cut this up terribly. Here's what it should have been, so go give us more money. Like, how do you feel about that and... Do you think that's going to be something that they continue to do? Or do you think that they're going to learn their lesson and be like, we pissed people off by doing this? Well, I don't know. I mean, I joked when I, I, I totally rolled my eyes and then tweeted a joke. Like when I saw the Suicide Squad was leading with an extended cut, just like BBS did. I'm like, oh, it's Warner Brothers' new Mia Culpa cut for Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> like, we screwed up again. Sorry. <laughs> um, it, it's a weird thing because, you know, there's been a lot of talk about like meddling with Warner brothers and and DC movies and stuff like that. And, and I, I understand that. Yeah, there is to a certain extent, Warner brothers did screw things up. I mean, they were the ones who, according to Zack Snyder really needed to get EBS closer to two and a half hours, as opposed to closer to two hours, closer to like two, two hours and 45 minutes or three hours. They wanted to get that movie down. Um, and, to some extent, you know, that that cost the movie because the editing, I thought the theatrical cut was extremely rough. And I think it had a lot to do with, uh, you know, people not digging the movie. Um, I don't think the extended cut is fair, is that much of an improvement personally, but it is an improvement. And even a slightly better movie stands a, a good chance of being getting a better reception. Um, Suicide Squad, I think, is a different case. And I'll get into that more if we're going to talk specifically about Suicide Squad. But um, but in terms of this idea of, you know, studios, get studio interference messing with these things one thing that's really important to keep in mind is that studios give notes on every single one of these movies and i don't care what studio you're working at if you're spending upwards of a hundred million dollars or in these cases hundreds of millions of dollars when you factor in the production budget and then of course uh marketing all of these things yeah and when then you're talking about billions of dollars in box office revenue and merchandising and all the other ancillary income at stake um you would be a fool if you thought that there aren't people giving notes on these things. Like it, as great as, you know, as successful as Marvel studios has been, I don't believe for a second that Walt Disney studios, chairman, Alan Horn, or maybe even the CEO, Bob Iger do, don't look at Marvel films and are, don't have the opportunity to give notes. I'm sure they do. Um, and I'm sure they get to give notes with to John Lasseter at Pixar and who questions Pixar at this point, you know, and I'm sure they get to give notes to, Kathleen Kennedy over at Lucasfilm. I mean, we've heard a lot of talk about reshoots and changes and stuff like that on Rogue One, uh, a Star Wars story and, and involvement of the studio. That It's nothing new. It's been going on for as long as these movies have become such huge investments, and it's not going to go away. Really what matters is you're not going to get rid of the system of people at a studio giving notes. What you need to do is make sure that whoever's giving notes actually knows what they're talking about and can give good notes. Because one of the other things you run into with executives is they know their job is to give notes. So if they watch something, they have to say something. Yeah. And they have like, although even though there may not be anything to say, even though everything may be just fine, they have to give a note to feel like they've done their job. So you actually need to find people who can give quality notes or know that if they don't have anything to say, then to just to, to just say that it looks good. I don't know how many people though. Like I think it, 
I think at Disney, like from what I understand, they try to keep it small in terms of how many executives get to come in and give notes. And I don't know how that compares to maybe what Warner Brothers is doing. So I just hope that whoever's giving notes, that they maybe minimize the amount of cooks that they have in the kitchen. Um, and then at the same time, really have a better have a better understanding of what it is, of what's motivating the notes. Like if the notes are all in the interest of making the movie better, that's one thing. But if it's in the interest of making sure something ties in with this piece of merchandising, or we just need this movie to be shorter just because we think it needs to be shorter, as opposed to the story doesn't actually need this scene. And that's why we're cutting it out. You know, those are the kinds of things that you have to, you know, that have to be the priorities for the executives is, you know, they've got to really focus on making these movies creatively stronger. Like that's what should fuel their notes, not necessarily all the commercial viability stuff. Cause if the movies are good, we already know that the brand interest is high on stuff like this. So imagine what happens if you actually make the movies great. And we, we know what happens. It, it's a billion dollars. Ask Christopher Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like they have Affleck kind of helping with editorial on Justice League. I don't know if that really in the long run help things. Cause if you don't have a good story, you can, you can chop something up any which way and you sell a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, You'd be surprised what you can do in an editing room, but I, I do think that, like, yeah, you have to have, if you don't have any of it in the camera, like, if you don't have good stuff to, if you don't have good material to cut from, uh, then it certainly makes that job uh, a lot harder. Um, and that, that's my, probably my biggest worry with Justice League is is not so much, uh, I, I think no matter what, even with, let's, like, let's just say that Batman v Superman went well, and let's say that, like, Zack Snyder just rolled into Justice League untouched. I think that no matter what, it was going to be a different movie than Batman v Superman. And I think that no matter what, it was going to be probably a more like inherently likable movie than Batman v Superman, uh, because it is Justice League. And I think Justice League just kind of demands that. And even though Zack Snyder has caught a lot of flack, and I've given him plenty, I've given my share this year, um, I still think he would have made something. I don't know that it would have been great, but it would have been something that people probably would have liked more. Um, and now I know that, obviously, with Ben Affleck and Jeff Johns, coming in and being more involved creatively on this. You know, like I, I understand all the reasons why, but the trouble that you run into there, the trap that Justice League could fall into is you could have kind of a warring of visions. You have one side that wants to make one movie and one side that kind of wants to make another movie. Because even though Zack Snyder's Justice League may be different from BBS, it may not necessarily be the same as Jeff Johns and Ben Affleck's Justice League. So how do they reconcile those two things? And then plus you have a third side with the studio. Hopefully the studio is on one, one of those two sides. So we don't end up with a third and fourth side. Uh, but you know, cause how do you reconcile those warring, uh, you know, those warring visions if that's what's going on. You Sometimes. Cut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. So. Yeah. So actually what's, what's probably going to happen with uh, justice league is we're going to, it's going to be released with three Blu-rays. There will be the Jeff Johns cut, <laughs> the Ben Affleck cut and the Zack Snyder cut. Take all my money. <laughs> I know, and we'll buy all of exactly. them. Exactly. Like, no question. Ugh. And the, can there be a Jason Momoa cut where he just sits <laughs> and throws axes at the wall for like three hours? Because I would watch that. That's entertaining. I would watch it. You would call yeah. that Aquaman, and I would watch it now. <laughs> uh, so, Suicide Squad, you said you, you might get. You can go into some Suicide Squad. I'm interested. The thing with Suicide Squad is that. You, I know everybody 
like likes to compare Suicide Squad to BVS as if they went the exact same way, and they really didn't. I know that the Rotten Tomato scores are, are basically one percentage point apart, like it's like 27 to 26, um, and I know that they both had very similar uh, second weekend drops. Batman v Superman ended up with like I think a 69 point something percent drop, and Suicide Squad 67 point something. Um, but if you look at what happened after, like, you know, set off, set Rotten Tomatoes off to the side, and they even like just call it even on the second weekends, what happened after that was very different with Suicide Squad. The fact that it was because if it had gone the same way as BBS, like it wouldn't have even might not have even made 600 million dollars worldwide, especially since it didn't get released in China. Like it ended up with a higher, I don't remember off the top of my head, but like it ended up with a higher multiplier, you know, like a two point something multiplier um, over uh, like 2.3 or something like that over its opening weekend, uh, which is not something that Batman v Superman did. So, and I know they had similar cinema scores. It was like a B plus for Suicide Squad and a B for Batman v Superman. But when you look at the legs that Suicide Squad had, it just kept bringing in money uh, right. domestically and uh, internationally. And the fact that it legged out close to $750 million worldwide, um, only finished, what, like maybe about $5 million below Batman v Superman domestically. You can't look at that, at least I can't, I can't look at those numbers and the way Suicide Squad played out and believe that the general audience members were saying negative things about Batman v Superman, or I'm sorry, about Suicide Squad the same way they did with Batman v Superman. The way Suicide Squad performed after its second weekend actually suggests that there were a lot of people who liked Suicide Squad enough to go back, or even if they didn't go back, at least tell their friends that they liked the movie and had a good time with it so that those friends went and saw it. There's no, you know, that's the only way it could have happened, because even after the marketing was done for Suicide Squad, it kept making money. So at that point, it's only living off of word of mouth, and it kept doing well. So that tells me that the word of mouth... So like. This rebound that people want for DC, as far as the mainstream concern, the mainstream audience is concerned, I think it already kind of started happening with Suicide Squad. That's why I think Wonder Woman is very well positioned because I think most people, just regular moviegoers who saw Suicide Squad, I think most of them liked it uh, and liked it quite a bit. I think with, I, I really hope that David Ayer gets another shot with Suicide Squad. You bring in Will Smith and you know, a little bit more Joker this, a little more Harley this, a little bit, I mean, a more centralized, you know, story focus. There's there's things that, there's performance, there's great performances, mm -hmm. there's, there's great action. There's there's things that, to me, that were wonky in the film. I only saw it, I think I saw it once or twice, I can't remember. There were just little minor issue things that I had with Suicide Squad, but overall, I was entertained the entire time. I was like, oh my yeah. God, there's Batman. He's taken down death. <laughs> oh my God! There all these other things yeah. that were going on, and it was entertaining and like it was Will Smith's biggest movie of all time. That's to say yeah. something for someone. Well, I I kind of compare Suicide Squad to kind of the the lower end of the Marvel movies, where you know people wonder why Marvel movies are so successful and. There's a lot of reasons why they're so successful. It's not because critics get paid for get paid to make to write good reviews. But Wait, you I get paid by Marvel. I don't actually get paid by Marvel. I've no. I've written I've written plenty of good reviews by Marvel, and I haven't been given a dime. So what a uh, jerks. I know it's <laughs> terrible. It's terrible. But um, you know, but then again, I didn't get any money for writing a good Suicide Squad review. So nobody pays me for writing good reviews. Um, but uh, you know, I think with uh, you know, as far as kind of what makes, 
you know, Marvel successful is like kind of what you said is that even when you can identify that a movie is, you know, flawed, you can see that there are certain things about the plot that maybe aren't working as well as they should. You're at least able to have a good time with it. And I think that's kind of what Suicide Squad offered. I, I you know, I, I think that a, in the average audience member is, is probably smarter than a lot of people give them credit for. Like everybody says, oh, well, they're dumb because they like Transformers. It's no, they're smart because they know what they want out of Transformers and they're getting it. Yep. You know, and I think that's what with, with Suicide Squad, people, it, I always figured Suicide Squad would play better than Batman v Superman just because people don't have the same set of rules and expectations for how things are supposed to go with Suicide Squad that like they would for a movie with Batman and Superman in it. In fact, people have no rules because most people went into Suicide Squad having no idea who those characters were outside of Batman and the Joker. Yep. Most of them even only barely knew Harley Quinn, maybe knew the name, but didn't really know anything about the character. So you kind of have more of a blank canvas on, you know, with the audience member to kind of color in their perception of the characters. You're not at war with anything they already maybe think of those characters. Um, so I think that was always going to help them out. But at the same time, Suicide Squad got to be the cool one. It got to be the fun one. It didn't have all the dramatic weight that Batman v Superman was carrying on its shoulders. Like it was just more of the, you know, have a good time being bad movie. Um, and that's why I think people ultimately were able to to like it more. Like just based on the way they these movies played out, you know, past their first couple weekends, uh, there's no question in my mind the general audience likes Suicide Squad a lot better than they like Batman v Superman. I feel like Suicide Squad like hit the nail on the head for like really going out of the way to gather all kinds of people's interests. Like you had oh, yeah. a love story, you had like the witch stuff, you had the badass stuff with like Deadshot, mm -hmm. you had the girl stuff. Like they really did an awesome job at like really just reaching everyone they possibly could with that film oh, yeah. and that's really how when i watched it it was like you said it was a really good time and yeah yeah it was weird in spots and stuff didn't make sense here and there but like overall like that was a great night to go watch a movie and have a good time with right. some friends and i definitely was one of the people i definitely was one of the people that told my friends to go watch that movie you know it's i i yeah, thought it well, was pretty good yeah, because in, in general, I think you're just, it, I think it's only human to be more forgiving of, of a movie that maybe doesn't do everything you want it to do. And, and even though you might be able to recognize that, like, this movie is flawed, you are much more likely, and it's just more, much more natural for you to forgive those flaws because you're having a good time with something. Like, yeah. it's, you know, it, you, you know, I know some people would say, like, oh, that's not being like a discerning moviegoer. And I'm like, well, no, it's not true. Like, cause I think a lot of people are kind of aware of, of what's happening. And, and at the same time, like people don't invest as much into this as we do. Like they just want to go in and have a good time with it. And, and I think a lot of people and, and enough of them did with suicide squad to allow it to perform the way that it did. That's sure too. <laughs> do you think David Ayer returns for our suicide? If there is a, or do you think he's like, ah, I did my one. Don't need that. No, I think he would do it because I think David Ayer feels kind of vindicated a little bit because everybody, you know, at least in terms of because David Ayer seems to be more interested in the, what the fans think than anybody else. And, you know, the fans kind of embraced him and the fans had his back, you know, when they felt like uh, they felt like it wasn't whatever Suicide Squad's shortcomings were. They didn't feel like David Ayer was the source of them. Um, and so I, I think David Ayer would, you know, feels good enough about that experience with Suicide Squad that I think he would come back if Warner Brothers wanted him to. 
I think the question that you have that that I wonder about is, is there really a Suicide Squad two, or is there just Harley Quinn and friends? Like, is there, you know, does Warner Brothers do both? Because we know they're developing the Harley Quinn movie with you know other female characters. Um, so we know that's going to be something they're doing. Would they do that and Suicide Squad, or will they just pick the one? And if they just pick the one and it's, and it's the Harley Quinn project, um, then do, does David Ayer want to do that, or are they going to probably go in another direction for it? And I think they would. So if there is a direct sequel to Suicide Squad, then I think David Ayer probably comes back. But if Suicide Squad 2 ends up kind of merging into this other Harley Quinn thing, then I think that's where they go. And I think it, and I don't think David Ayer directs that movie. What do you think the possibility? Sorry, Justin. What do you think the possibilities would be of like the comics where the Suicide Squad is constantly changing with members? You know, do you think that would ever be something that could go down? It could, um, but I would say that you have to have at minimum Harley Quinn and or Deadshot. Yeah, you know, definitely. I, I yeah, yeah. I mean, those are your those are your two breakout characters uh, of the film. So ideally, you would have both of them back, uh, but. At minimum, you've got to have one of them. Um, but I don't, you know, Harley Quinn and Deadshot are characters that just so naturally in the DC universe, even in the comics, that they can just they can just pop up kind of anywhere. Yeah. Um, so you don't even really, and that's one of the advantages, by the way, of a of a cinematic universe is you're not tied to making a sequel of this franchise. You can just you can treat the whole damn thing like a buffet, and you can pick like the best two you know, your favorite two characters out of this movie and be like, okay, well, let's just, let's stick with them and leave the rest of this, you know, leave the rest of this behind. Now let's go put Deadshot in a Batman movie and let's get Harley going on like her other, you know, the other project that they're developing for her. Um, but yeah, so Suicide Squad, the, ro the roster is destined to change. Um, but I, I think that no matter what you're going to have, it's going to be anchored by Deadshot or Harley. Yeah. You still like questions, Tom. Who's... <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, you're good. I'm not sorry. No, I know you're not. We can go into uh, Lego Batman. Are you excited for it? <laughs> I mean, I'm excited for it. It looks awesome. Yeah. Oh, I know Justin has a question for <laughs> Lego Batman or Lego Justice Batman League. Or Justice League. Lego Batman or Justice where, League. Where does it fall for you? I'm more excited for Justice League. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, I know that that would sound surprising for everybody who's listened to me or read anything I've, I've written over the past year of or the past, what, eight months that, I, you know, how much I I really did not care for Batman v Superman. Um, but in spite of that, it, it doesn't change the fact that this is still Justice League, you know, for the first time ever. And, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of hard to not be excited about that. Do I approach it with a little bit of trepidation? Yeah, sure, because, you know, fooled me once and, and on down the line there. But, you know, so, yeah, Batman v Superman uh, didn't go in a way that, that I really liked. But um, I still liked uh, Man of Steel. So as far as, you know, Zack Snyder, he's bat he's still batting 500 with me. It's not like he's just struck out twice. So based on that, you know, I think, well, maybe he'll come back. Like, this is kind of the rubber match in, like, wrestling terms. Like, nice. And maybe this will be the one that, that Zack, you know, maybe he'll win this one again. So... Um, and, and also, I mean, I, I liked the footage that they showed at, at Comic-Con. I was there in Hall H. I mean, I, obviously everybody saw it because it was online, but, you know, I was excited when they showed that footage. Um, it looks like they're pushing things in a, in a different direction and things that I might like. Um, I, 
my big concern with Justice League, besides, as I mentioned, the warring of visions, I just hope we don't have to wait too long uh, before Superman gets back into the action, because we all know it's going to happen. Um, I just hope that, like, we're not having to sit through two acts of, of like, a Superman-less Justice League movie, and then at the end he comes back just for one final battle. Like, I want more of Superman interacting with the team. Um, so I hope they find a way to get him involved earlier than I than I expect them to. But yeah, I'm going to be more excited about that than Lego Batman. Look, Lego Batman looks like a lot of fun, and I know I'm going to laugh my ass off when I watch it. The, everything that Michael Sarah is doing as Robin is just cracking me up <laughs> uh, in every trailer. Like I, I honestly, you could throw away the rest of the movie, and I'll, I know I'll have a good time with just Michael Sarah as Robin. But um, the re- but the rest of it looks like a blast too. Like it just looks like so much fun and a complete silly, hilarious celebration of being a Batman and, and DC fan. But that's you know that's not for real though you know like the the real stuff is when we're you know we're, we're playing it straight and we're really trying to make uh something something great that's you know ha- that offers you know a lot of humor and fun but at the same time like carries some of the epic you know dramatic qualities that that uh, i love so much about comic books so lego batman's just a, a bit of silly fun but you know justice league is the one that that despite everything that happened with batman v superman you know justice league still has its chance to be something special so I'm going to be anticipating that one more than Lego Batman movie. It doesn't mean it'll be the one I like the most in 2017, <laughs> but it, it's going to be the one I'm looking uh, looking forward to the most. But Lord Voldemort, he's Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually not a bad call, by the way. Like the fact that nobody thought of getting Ray Fiennes as Alfred before this, even in live action, like he totally would have worked. Mm-hmm. The way you put the Justice League, you said it's the Justice League for the first time. Yeah. What was it like being in Hall H when you seen that footage? What was the what was the atmosphere like? What what like what were you getting from the people on the floor? Um, well, I mean, it was electric. I mean, it's but I, I always take that with a grain of salt because like you understand that like everybody in Hall H freaks out over everything. True, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know, it's the nature of the room that everybody's just so like amped up beyond what they might ordinarily be because like there is a certain electricity that's in that room like if you've never done it i always recommend if you make that comic con like do hall h once like you don't have to do it all the time because it's kind of ridiculous being <laughs> in there but like uh at least being in there in that room once but yeah like seeing that footage for the first time uh you know it, it was great and just knowing that that was the first time that anybody had seen any kind of footage from a justice league movie yeah um it was it was pretty special and like and that's the thing is like that's how like you, you know that ultimate I mean, not that I ever doubted it, but like I'm a DC fan. Like I know I like Marvel too, and everybody knows I like Marvel as well. But that's because I grew up loving both. But you know, I've always been a huge DC fan, and that's why, you know, no matter like, it doesn't matter if a movie disappoints me. It's just I didn't stop reading comics because comic. You know, there are there are issues of comic books that have disappointed me, oh, yeah. um, or or even entire runs of comic books that disappoint me. Like if you like something long enough, and you get you dive into enough of the content of that thing, you're going to find examples that you don't like and that aren't necessarily for you. And that's what Batman v Superman was for me. But that doesn't mean that all of a sudden now, like I'm not excited about watching justice league or watching DC movies. Like, and that's where like, I just knew like I couldn't even help myself. Like as soon as I saw, like I freaked out before they even started footage, like when they just did like the DC kind of montage at the beginning, all they showed was like, uh, you know, the new justice league logo. And I freaked out like the, the J the abbreviated, you know, JL version of it. And I was losing my mind because like, there's still like that, that excitement that's just so natural for me to like, 
just the very idea of DC movies and especially like the ultimate of Justice League, like, you know, that doesn't go away just because, you know, I, I wasn't pleased with BBS. Right. We're definitely like in the heyday of the times for oh, what sure, we yeah. wanted when we were like small children. Like, <laughs> I wish I, there was like a movie, you know. Yeah, see, that's the thing is like, the 2000s were more like the heyday of what I dreamed of because I didn't dream this big. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. You know, when we didn't have, you know, of course, you know, me being a kid in like the 80s and 90s, you know, like when all you had basically was um, Batman movies, you know, of course, the older Superman movies, and then a bunch of like just really half-assed attempts at at, at something. Um, Although Blank Man was awesome. Uh, But you 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 didn't have like a lot of, you know, great stuff. And there was, you know, there wasn't really in the Spider-Man movies. Like, you know, when I was growing up, like I would have been happy enough just to get like a flash movie and a, uh, Spider-Man movie and, and all that stuff, like in a Hulk movie. Cause actually Hulk and Batman were Hulk was my favorite from Marvel. Batman was my favorite from DC. Like that would have been enough for me. Um, you know, I wasn't necessarily dreaming as like, if you even as like an eight year old, like if you told me, hey, they might make a Justice League movie, I'd be like, oh, you're crazy. That's crazy. And like now I'm just being greedy if I'm if I'm dreaming for that. Uh, so, so it's gone it's gone beyond what I what I had even hoped it would be. Um, so yeah, like to to be where we're at now, even though you know not everything's necessarily perfect. Like yeah. for me, I already kind of got my perfect my perfect Batman stuff with the uh, the Nolan trilogy. So at this point, like I'm a lot more relaxed about it. it does, obviously, it doesn't mean I'll love everything that comes out. Uh, but yeah, like it's, it's hard to, for me to just approach this, each of these movies, it's hard for me to approach them with anything ju- uh, just other than excitement. I turned to my old lady when we left the parking lot of Batman v Superman. And I said, I saw Batman and Superman <laughs> punch each other in the face. Whatever happens now just happens. <laughs> That's true. And then it was That's quiet true. for like the next six miles. I was like, what? Yeah. Uh, well, for me, yeah. Ever since the ever since the Dark Knight trilogy, for me, it's uh, it's been playing with playing with house money is the way that I, you know, nice. that's the way that I look at it. Nice. Still, I'm still pretty excited for Ben Affleck's solo Batman movie. Uh, like, I'm very, yeah, I'm very excited for that. So, is there some is there something we're, we're gonna start getting to the end of the show? Unfortunately, just. Because we know Sean has things to do and Tom has to go to work and I have to go to work. <laughs> something in the morning, we're not really sure what yet. <laughs> um, so is there like something in the Ben Affleck Batman film that you just have to see? Like, I, 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 for me, I kind of want to see what I love about Batman Begins so much is for like, the last half of the movie, he's Batman and just Batman. I kind of want to see let's say a complete Batman where he's just Batman for the entire film. But I love to see a Batman film where Ben Affleck's like Batman for like 65 to 70% of the film. That's what I kind of hope and am hoping for this go around. Yeah. I could, I could definitely see where you're coming from and having a a Bruce Wayne to Batman ratio that slants much more in favor of Batman. I, I would agree with that. Um, I don't have anything too specific uh, because I, I try to avoid that because I, you know, sometimes I feel like that's a, a trap as a fan is when you, you know, think too long and, and too much about what you really want the movie to be that you end up not being able to accept what is inevitably different from the thing that they're trying to give you. Um, so, I mean, we already kind of have some idea that, you know, we have uh, Deathstroke in play. 
Um, so the, the only thing I would throw out, and, and this is not in any way, shape, or form a requirement, but this is just something that I've wanted from a Batman movie for a while, is I've, I've always wanted a Batman movie that was more of a genuine mystery. Um, you know, I want, I've always wanted, you know, uh, Batman to have to solve something as a detective and not just like solving like a little small part of something like we've seen in other movies, you know, like how figuring out the whole bullet thing with the Joker and the Dark Knight, like, yeah, that we've, we've seen, you know, detective work in the movies. I don't want to pretend that we haven't, but we haven't seen a movie that really focused on a detective story. And, you know, I know Ben Affleck is great at that. Like Gone Baby Gone is a fantastic, you know, kind of mystery type of story. And so I would love that. Like, okay, so we obviously know who Deathstroke is, but we don't have to necessarily know who hired him. And we don't have to know, you know, what, you know, what larger conspiracy he might be a part of. Something like that, where Batman actually has to solve something and we don't know the answer. Like, I would love it if we don't, yeah, I know people are, and I know we're going to play with this in just a second, but I know people always want to know, like, who's going to be cast as this or that villain? And who's that, like, I would love it if we don't find out who any other villain is besides Deathstroke. And then we kind of find out, like, in the end, like, who was behind this whole thing? Like, that's the kind of stuff that I would love. And I know it it will probably never happen because it betrays every little bit of studio marketing <laughs> that you would want of, like, we got to say that, like, you know, because Batman has the most marketable rogues gallery. Like, we got to say that it's this bad guy that Batman's fighting. But I, you know, one thing we, we just haven't had is, you know, a, a Batman movie where when we go into it, we don't know who Batman's going to fight. Um, I mean, we at least kind of got a little swerve, like surprise with, uh, you know, Roz and Batman Begins. But we still knew going into it that it was Batman against Roz and Scarecrow. You know, what if this time we know it's Batman against Deathstroke, but we don't know who else? Like, that would be something that I would I would really be into. That'd be cool. That'd definitely be cool. Tom, I know I know you got a, a question about this sort of thing as well. I really don't have a lot of questions. Like Sean said, it's it, I don't like to speculate too much because then you get let down really hard. But, yeah. I mean, I guess I can say a few things like I really hope for. Like, I really hope to see like the long nights Batman where like Batman comes back to the Batcave mm. and he's still in the suit, but he's got the cow yeah. off and he's just at the computer and he's got his head down and Alfred brings him like a sandwich. He's like, you should go to bed. And he's like, well, you should screw off. Like <laughs> I want to see that. And I think Deathstroke would be a cool character to do that with because like, he's like a ninja and like you can see that detective work because he's he i can see him being like hard to find like there's someone in town and i don't know who it is and he's got to do the whole figure it out and then just to fight with him is a whole nother preparation period and i want to see those long nights and like crazy fatigued batman stuff one yeah. of my one of my favorite movies is seven and the reason i love mm. that movie is because the entire movie, they're looking for this one person, and you don't know who it is. And yep. all of a sudden, yep. Kevin Spacey's in the film. And yeah. Like, oh, crap. <laughs> That's right. I, I, going along with what Sean had to say is like, I kind of want that, where you just where that Deathstroke is just kind of like this distraction for Batman, and the entire like this entire other thing is going on. They just have no right. idea that all of a sudden this like Daniel Day Lewis's Rachel Gould pops up and. Is this big, huge? I mean, I'd love to see Daniel Day Lewis as Rachel. <laughs> just to not know that through the entire yeah. that surprise is coming would just be incredible. So, yeah. <sighs> yeah, I would love to see if they could have like a really 
great actor, like, and just literally hide them from us for months <laughs> of oh. shooting the movie and in trailers and everything and just not have it leak, which would be um, extraordinarily difficult to do. Like, just, I I don't envy them in, in, you know, having to do it, but if they could pull it off, like, that would just be something really special. Like, Interstellar did, like, Matt, like, you kind of knew Matt Damon was going to be in the film, but you completely yeah. forgot that he was in it until, like, he's in it, you're like, holy crap, Matt Damon, yeah. kind of Back. You would just have to, you know, you would have to shoot that person's role entirely on a soundstage. You could just never have them, you know, they yeah. could just never, ever, ever be on a public set. Like, it just couldn't happen. Yeah, right. not today. <laughs> yeah, no. So, so last time we played this little game of Fang, we, we do <sighs> I missed, I missed it last time, and it was awesome. <laughs> I listened to it, like. I'm so this time we're gonna keep it to like three, unless someone else wants to pop up, throw in a character. So it was. For, so this time we're gonna do Mr. Freeze, Scarecrow, and then Red Hood. I don't think we did Red Hood last time. We might have, but who cares? It's fun. So we'll do like a round table. I'll start with Sean. Everyone knows who I want for, for Mr. Freeze. So, <laughs> um, so Sean, who would you like to see play Mr. Freeze? Um. Well, I, I know who you want, and it's a good idea. Um, but uh, you know, I I, I kind of have two. Um, one that I one that I like a lot, and one that I like like a lot a lot. So one that I like even more. So the first one that I would throw out as a candidate for Mister Freeze uh, would be Stanley Tucci. Um, I have wanted Stanley Tucci to be a Batman villain for a long time. Um, I actually, for a long time, I thought he would be a great Penguin, but I also think he would be a fantastic Mr. Freeze. Uh, not just because he's bald, because whoever it is is going to shave their head or they can have a skull cap, whatever. Um, but, you know, if you've seen him in, as most of us have in, in many, many movies, he does a great yeah. job of playing somebody who is, you know, no pun intended, cold and emotionally distant. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, and I'll, I'll get into this more with my, my next example, but I, he has other qualities that um, I think would work, like especially if you saw him play like Dr. Erskine in Captain America, the first Avenger. Like, I think there is kind of a likability to Mr. Freeze, and I'll explain more about that in my next example that I think Stanley Tucci would, would fit well in. But the one that I would take even, uh, even over Stanley Tucci is Colin Firth. Um, so it's not, a, you know, by no means is that a conventional choice for a villain, but the reason I like Colin Firth is, you know, kind of a, an expansion of the idea of the reasons I like Stanley Tucci is that he can play somebody who is, you know, cold and, and distant and kind of shut off from the world. But what makes Mr. Freeze such a compelling character, in my opinion, it's, it's the reason he took off after they redid his origin of Batman, the animated series with Heart of Ice. And I know they've kind of even retconned that a little bit in the comics, so like when Scott Snyder did a Batman annual a few years ago. Um, so I'm kind of setting that to the side, and I'm going back to Heart of Ice, which they ended up taking into the comics and leaving out the most recent retcon. You know, if you think at the heart of that story, I mean, it's, it's tragedy. And you have to, like, I think for Mr. Freeze to really work as a character, you have to believe as a viewer that if you knew him before, you would have liked him. You know, and that you would have been rooting for him because ultimately, like, this is a guy who was really just trying to save his wife. And then, of course, you know, tragedy befell him and, and everything that he's doing is still ultimately in, in the pursuit of, of saving his wife. So, like, you kind of have to have an inherent, you really have to have an inherent likability and charm. And, and also you have to kind of have a romantic bone. Like, people have to kind of believe that you're the person, like, 
I don't know if I've ever believed Christoph Waltz was in love with anyone. <laughs> like, you know, I don't, and for that matter, I don't know if I ever believed that Stanley Tucci was in love with anyone. But you know, I, you know, we, I think we've all seen enough examples of, of Colin Firth in romantic films that we know he has that. And plus, like because you already know he has that, it's only natural for moviegoers to, you know, when you've seen somebody play so many characters, it's only natural that you kind of bring some of that to the, like, as a viewer, you bring that to their character because you kind of are already aware. That it's that it's just kind of there for them because it's part of that actor's canon. Um, but I like that. I like that Colin Firth can kind of combine. You know, I think he can handle the easy part of Mr. Freeze. I think the the easy part is being you know this emotionally closed off bad guy. You know, like I, that part I think anybody can play. What I think the real trick is is you have to have somebody who just deep down inside, like just far enough below the surface that it's not like over. It's not overwhelming you but not so far below that you can't see it and feel it, which is that, you know, deep down, this is a guy that you actually would probably like. And deep down, this is a guy that, you know, is, is really motivated, not by the absence of emotion, but actually like an overwhelming amount of emotion and love that he has for his wife. And like, that's what's fueling this entire thing. Like there is this intrinsic quality in Victor Freeze that an actor would have to bring out. Um, and you would have to bring that out without really being able to like overtly communicate it. Um, and I think that's something that Colin Firth would be great at. And Colin Firth is one of his greatest movies is The King's Speech. So yeah. he play that, he play those kind of amazing, like he, he's like mind blown on that one. Like I'm rethinking mine. Colin Firth. <laughs> <laughs> Stanley Tucci too. Like if you ever want to just see Stanley Tucci, like he's done many, but check out a movie called Spotlight where he plays Mitch mm-hmm. Garrett just an amazing he just this character actor he can just really like just suffocate himself into that role yep. these different characters so yeah like and that's what i was talking about like that kind of inherent likability is right you know, the first several times i saw stanley tucci like it was always characters who were just you know jerks so like i didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't I didn't love the characters he was playing but then like you then i saw him well i saw him in other stuff before that but especially like uh you know, Captain America, the first Avenger. And like, that was a uh, huge example of it. Like, wow, like this guy can actually communicate like a lot of warmth, uh, you know, as a, as an actor. And so, yeah, like him and Colin Firth kind of had that same thing for me that they can portray the stuff that, you know, on the surface that you have with Mr. Freeze as a villain, but it's what they have underneath uh, that I think would set them apart. So I, you know, I like Stanley Tucci a lot for it, but then I absolutely love Colin Firth for it. Very, very good choices. Kyle, Mr. Freeze. Mm, there's a lot of good choices here, but I think the one I would go for is actually Tobin Bell, Mister mm. Mister Jigsaw himself. I feel like he could do that kind of an angle. Like he has a plan, but he's doing it for he, he's trying to do it for the greater good. You know, like he wants to help other people out, even though it may be kind of twisted at the same time. Nice. I wouldn't totally forgot who we like. Where's <laughs> he been the last ten years? He hasn't done anything. He's living on that saw money, man. Living on that saw money. At least we know he's available. Six of them. Yeah. Or is he? Seven of them. All right. Hold on. I I have someone, but I don't know if it has, like, through osmosis, been smashed into my brain through you. Who? What is? Who's your pick again? Christoph Walsh. Okay. All right. All right. Michael C. Hall. Oh, okay. I like that. I mean, Dexter, six feet under, like, he can totally pull that off. And he's got, I think he could pull the look off, too. I would, it works for me. 
that would that'd be interesting. He's kind of like, yeah, I could I could see him pull it off as well. There's there's some like he like there's going something going on with like when you look at like when he's acting like look at his eyes. It's like this crazy like mm-hmm. it's something different with him. So I really like that too. I never would have definitely I would have thought of for him like the Riddler or something like the obvious yeah. choice. He'd be really good as Mister Freeze. So yeah, mine mine has to be. Christoph Waltz. Nice. I think he was wasted inspector. Yeah. Like completely yes. like villain role was wasted. And whenever I think of Mr. Freeze, I he's always given like the speech to Batman. I mm-hmm. just remember Christoph Waltz is just uh in like in Glorious Fast, he has like this cadence. Mm-hmm. I just like how he has this cadence. And I can just whenever I think of like Mr. Freeze now, I'm like I feel like he would have like that kind of cadence. I don't know. I was, I was like, man, who could really just like who can just you can completely forget about Arnold Schwarzenegger as <laughs> Mister Freeze, and who could do it? Like never has forget. Someone, has to be someone just completely like like that, just like yeah, someone who just I don't know. That's just you can't never forget about Arnold Schwarzenegger, and so you just, yeah, you can't anyways. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, it has to be Christoph Waltz. So. Sean, if you were to cast Scarecrow, uh, my top Scarecrow choice is uh, Doug Jones, who most of you would know from Guillermo del Toro's movies. Uh, oh. uh, he was Abe Sapien in Hellboy, oh, okay. um, and he's done a bunch of scary movie parts and stuff like that. And he was actually, I think, he was on The Flash and Arrow as Deathbolt, I think, last year. Um, yeah, he is. I, I think if you, you know. Trust me, you've seen him before. You've seen his work, if you, even if you don't necessarily recognize the name. Um, but he, has, I think he's a really awesome, underrated actor. And I think if you look at him, like he's just a dead ringer for Jonathan Crane. Um, that's assuming that we can't get Killian Murphy, because I would just keep Killian Murphy, honestly. Like, right. I never got enough of him as uh, Jonathan Crane and Scarecrow in the Nolan movies, because he was... Uh, you know, he was more of the supporting villain in Batman Begins, and then of course only had, you know, little cameos in, in Dark Knight and, and Dark Knight Rises. Um, we didn't really get very much of him as like a full-fledged Scarecrow, so I kind of, uh, I wouldn't even care if they recast him to be the, the same character in a new continuity. But you know, I know that that's not going to be the reality of it. So uh, Doug Jones would be my top choice. I think he fits the profile of Jonathan Crane. Um, and I, I think he's a, a great actor and could do everything that would be required of it. And then I just think if that guy in a full-blown scarecrow costume would just be, you know, just be amazing to see. Yeah, I'm seeing it. I can see it. Just because I've seen it three other times. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, assume we're going to get Killian Murphy again. Um, actually, I have two choices here. My first one would actually be Adam Driver. Okay. That's awesome. I, I like Adam Driver. I think he's a great actor, and I think he could really nail that role pretty well. But um, another one I think would be kind of interesting to see. I'm not sure how it would turn out, but it would be uh, Zachary Quinto. Okay. It'd be, yeah, I, I think it would be that. kind of interesting. I think Zachary Quinto would be an awesome Mad Hatter. That too, yeah. I'd like to see him uh, get a, one of these villain roles. I think he'd, uh, he'd do well in it. Yeah, no, he would. I have to look him up right now because I have no clue who that is. <laughs> oh, he's the, he's like the new spot. Oh, that guy. Okay. Uh, that guy. Okay. 
I'm like frantically looking up people and stuff. Um, who? I've got, I've got an off the wall scarecrow that may be cool, or I may just get made fun of a lot. Um, what about Kim Coates? Okay, yeah. Who? Kim Coates. He was the, uh, he was the crazy dude on uh, Sons of Anarchy. Oh yeah. And that's I like he has the like the he can do like the mental kind of thing but be yeah. like super straight laced at the same time. That's why I thought of him for that. I think it would be interesting at the very least. Yeah, he would be uh I think he would also be really cool as Zaz. Oh Ooh, wow. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. Just shave that shave that head, put some scars on him and he's got it. Perfect. Nice. See, I was going to go with the Sean Gerber route and say recast Killian Murphy. Yeah, well, yeah. It's <laughs> like, oh, God, I got to figure this out. I can't use it. So I'm just going to go and play it safe. Joaquin Phoenix. Okay. okay I yeah. think he, he just needs to be in one of these films. And yeah, just, at some point. Kind of like off That's the fair. wall enough to play that, that kind of a character. Yeah. And yeah. Plus, like, whenever I think of Scarecrow, he's always kind of like a little bit older. I want to say he's, like, older than... I always want to think, like, he's, like, five years older than Batman, and I feel like Joaquin Phoenix is probably five years older than Batman in this time, so... I don't yeah. know. It's kind of something I've always... So, okay, so everyone's favorite... Who are they? Cash Red Hood and something, so... they The Red Hood needs to be in this Batman film. I'm just saying this right here, right now. <laughs> um, Sean, who would you cast as a Red Hood? Nobody, uh, no. <laughs> denied. I, I'm not a Red Hood guy, so I, I would refute any claim that Red Hood has to be in this movie. Um, although, you know, because I, I did not love when Red Hood was brought back in the comics, although, you know, it's that's why I love the animated film so much, is it took a comic book storyline that I flat out hated and actually made it into a movie that I liked. Um, so, yeah, the uh, Under the Red Hood animated film helped kind of redeem some of that for me. Um, so I don't have any strong feelings about who should play Jason Todd or Red Hood because again I'd be, uh, even though I like the animated film, I would be, com I would be perfectly content to not have him <laughs> in there. Um, so I have two possible choices depending on the age because I think what's you know a little tough to figure out is you know, based you know depending on how what the order of the Robins were and how how long ago some of these things were. So like. If Jason Todd is going to be like a late 20s, early 30s, you know, to match up with like a mid 40s Batman, then I would lean towards uh, Taylor Kitsch, I think would be a really cool Jason Todd in that age range. Um, if we're going to go younger to more like early to mid 20s, then I would actually steal a suggestion from uh, my good friend Andy DiGenova, who's my co-host on the the Batman News podcast and does yes. Holy Batcast. Um I would, he threw out when we were talking the other night, we were podcasting the other night, he threw out Taron Egerton or Edgerton, the guy from Kingsman, um, as yep. Jason Todd, which I think is perfect. So, you know, again, I, I don't know, he might be a little younger than what, uh, you know, Jason Todd might end up being, but if, if they're cool with that age range, uh, then I actually like him a lot because if you just watch his, if you watch his performance in Kingsman, like it's very much that kind of guy. Like it's very much the guy who, you know, wants to do well and is, you know, in some ways obedient uh, towards his mentor figure, but also at the same time is totally going to go off and do his own thing. Um, and I think, you know, he portrayed that very well in Kingsman and could take it even farther, which he would have to, 
um, with, uh, with Red Hood. So those would be my, my two choices depending on age. Nice. Uh, probably not the most original pick, but I actually kind of like the idea of uh, Jensen Ackles reprising his mm -hmm. role as Red Hood. Yeah, he, 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 he's already provided the voice once, but he also like looks the part, so I think it would just be a good fit. Yeah, I like yeah, that. That was definitely one of mine. Um, the only other person that I could come up with would be uh, possibly uh, Jack O'Connell. Interesting. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um. I have to choose John Cena. No. John Cena. <laughs> Good night. Yeah, right? uh, I was waiting for someone to do it this time, but I was like, "All right, I'll do it." Uh, not John Cena. Okay. Um, oh. Like with Shawnee, it just depends on the age of your of your Red Hood. Um, Aaron Paul, I think he'd be really good. Or yes. Zac Efron. I don't know. I just think like Zac. For some reason, like his teeny bopper, like kind of like those years were like over. Could do something more like serious. So I don't know. This is my. I want to see Aaron Paul just like pistol whip someone and go, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> As Red Hood, though, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be, yeah. That was that's a good one. I like that. It's better yeah, than the like, one I pulled out. <laughs> I I originally thought of John Cena. Damn it! Um, but but like like Sean like you, Sean said there's like different ages like yeah and everything. So I, I like the more mature Red Hood. I'd have to go like Aaron Paul, but if you're who just or I think Zach Efron looks more the part. Like if you were to like just like draw something and like just put some yeah. I think I actually think of Zach Efron more as a as a Dick Grayson than a Jason Todd. Although maybe not old enough to be Dick Grayson in this world. Although he was actually I'm stealing from Andy again because that was Andy's pick for for Nightwing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I although he is a little short, I think for Dick Grayson, especially with Affleck being so tall. Um, I think you might ultimately need you know a, a bigger uh, Nightwing for that. But um, yeah, I, but if if Zach Efron were going to play a Robin, I would lean more in the direction of him being Dick Grayson as opposed to uh, to Jason Todd. Hashtag Shia LaBeouf for Red Hood. <laughs> <laughs> then everybody really would hate Red Hood. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the comeback. <laughs> yes. That's funny. Okay, we'll do one more. It's not a Batman character. Green Lantern. Who would you... It can be any Green Lantern. It could be John Stewart, Kyle Rayner, Hal Jordan. Tom just buried his head. He's like, I can't do this. I already prepared um, for three. Yeah. Now my well, my top choice for, you know, a Green Lantern. Well, I mean, I know it's going to be Hal and John in Green Lantern Corps. Like, I don't see any way around it. But if there is room for Guy Gardner, um, and I've, I'm kind of repeating myself from the other night, but uh, uh, it's my top pick right now for Guy Gardner is actually Tom Hardy. Um, nice. like I, the thing is like when I hear Green Lantern core, like when I hear Green Lantern, I think Hal. when I hear Green Lantern core, I think John and Guy. Um, and maybe that's just because of, you know, a lot of Pete Tomasi's run in Green Lantern core, uh, you know, in the early to late, you know, two thousands, uh, and, and even going into like the new 52 in 2011. But 
Yeah, Guy Gardner is, uh, I think Guy Gardner is just one of the great asshole superheroes of all time. <laughs> like, he's just, he's completely unlikable, and yet you'll still tolerate him. Um, and I just think something like that would be a lot of fun for Tom Hardy. I know everybody likes to put Tom Hardy back in villain roles, um, but I don't want to do that because, like, we saw him play a DC villain. Like, I want to see him play a DC hero or at least, you know, anti-hero or somewhere, you know, in between. Um, so, yeah, I have some picks. You know, I could come up with some picks for Hal and, and John, but the one that I, I, I don't really feel strongly about any one actor for either of those characters, but I really, really love the idea of, Guy Gardner being in Green Lantern Corps and that character being Tom Hardy. That'd be really awesome. That would be really awesome. Kyle? Well, if I were to fan cast a Green Lantern, I'd go for probably one of the most impossible things to happen. That would actually be um, Idris Elba as Jon Stewart. It won't happen because he's already kind of in the Marvel camp, but... Oh, that doesn't matter. I mean, like... It's a fan we, cast. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, well, we're seeing... We're seeing actors go back and forth now between Marvel and DC. Like it's happening. So I keep up with like I keep up the hope. <laughs> yeah. So I I think it could totally happen. Tom, do you have anything? Have you had enough time? I'm tapping out. <laughs> I'm tapping on this one, dude. I'm gonna do that one guy play the other. Guy I'm gonna pull a Justin and say John Hamm. <sighs> just because that's that's just the go-to for everybody. Like, who should what? Who who could be uh, Cheetah and Wonder Woman? John Hamm. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Christoph Waltz is now the John Hamm of comic book movie villains. <laughs> like everything. Fair. You know, Christoph Waltz. Um, so you're never giving me that idea. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, for Hal, my favorite was actually Chris Pine. Um, even before Ryan Reynolds was cast the first time around, my favorite was Chris Pine. Um, and then I was actually excited when I thought that he was going to be Hal when there were kind of rumors about that. But now, obviously, he's Steve Trevor and Wonder Woman. So, yeah, with him gone, I don't really, I don't really have anybody I really love for for Hal Jordan right now. I have, I've been trying to, you know, think of who I would really, really be excited about in that role, but I don't have somebody. So let's just go with Tom Hardy as Guy Gardner and Idris Elba as John Stewart. I will totally watch. That I like the John Stewart. Yeah. For for. Hal, it would. I want to say John Hamm, but I'll say Bradley Cooper. Okay, he would be a good choice. Thanks. Um, and then for uh, John Stewart, I got a poll from Mark Hughes, our friend. Um, he said Tyler Perry. So once he said Tyler Perry, I was all over that. I think that I, if you watch him in Gone Girl, you can do that. Yeah. yeah. He was he was like the Alex Cross guy too, I think, and that was pretty. Like he has the acting range, and he—I feel like he yeah. could throw, lift some weights, and he'd be—he—he's a good actor. So, yeah. Yeah. like the internet would freak out over. Oh yeah, total meltdown, total meltdown. <laughs> it'd Makes be it perfect. It'd be way worse than Ben Affleck being cast as Batman. Tyler Perry's Green Lantern. Oh, like I—I—I I, I, I say this every once in a while, but people are like, no. <laughs> I think it yeah. could work. Yeah, like, you're not going to get a whole lot of people on board with that just on the announcement. <laughs> I, don't, I just, for sure, as soon as Mark said Tyler Perry, I was like, at first I was like, Tyler Perry, but then I was like, well, Gone Girl, Cro I was like, all right, if, but you have to have someone else, like yeah. a Bradley Cooper or uh, or. John Cena, who knows? But you just got to figure something out. 
<laughs> you can't have him as like the top as he's someone else, I think. Yeah. Well Bradley Cooper was one of the he was one of the last people rumored the first time around, you know, before it ultimately went to Ryan Reynolds. So we'll never maybe maybe, maybe. Bradley Cooper is gonna he's kind of a top dog over at Warner Brothers now, isn't he? Like I feel like after yeah. American Sniper he gets That's everything. True. So That's true. So that'll be it for this. I, I know for a fact I'm going to get hate mail for Tyler Perry. So but. Yeah, you are. Sean, where can <laughs> we find you on social right media? Now. Whoa. Sorry. Sean, where can <laughs> we find you on social media? Oh, uh, you can just find me on Twitter at Mr. Sean Gerber, and that's spelled S-E-A-N. Uh, yeah, you can find me there, and that'll that'll get you in tune with everywhere else on that. Perfect. You can read us, read us stuff on Modern Myth Media, and definitely check out the Batman News Podcast. Yeah. Good stuff, so. Like... I, 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 Sean's a good guy. We, we love having him on the show. We just got to do this a little bit more often. Oh, yeah. Anytime, man. Anytime. Oh, awesome. uh, I think we, we, like a year was the last. Yeah, about, yeah. I actually looked it up today. It was October of last year. So, yeah, it's been a little over a year. Yeah, yeah I'll come on anytime. So, awesome, man. Definitely check out his stuff in Modern Myth Media for sure. Hopefully, you and Mark get back to podcasting regularly again. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're working on some stuff. We'll get something going soon good love to hear you guys back podcast and make sure you check that out and you know just hit up hit us up you know to hit us up at so definitely at, at where where's it at again sean at, at mr sean gerber perfect perfect, perfect. and that's going to be it for this episode of shannon and I thank you sean for coming on we appreciate you thank you good night i am the night i